legendary guitarist Rex Carroll is here on The Antidote. Rex, this is really an honor to have you here. Well, it's my pleasure to be here, Dave. It's hard to know where to start with you, Rex, because you've been a part of so many projects. White Cross, King James, the Rex Carroll Band, and tonight we'll be getting into hearing about Fierce Heart. Right. So, I don't know, is it possible to have too much music in your life? Well, I think uh, if you live the musical life for any period of years, then the, the projects that you're involved in tend to accumulate over the years. Uh, I mean, you can look at, you know, some of my favorite musicians, uh, like George Lynch, for example. You start out in kind of one band and you become known for playing in docking, right? And then all these years later, he's got like six side projects and he, you know, he's got Lynch Mob and, and then he's got these other bands that he does too. And I think that uh, in the internet age in which we live, everybody's just trying to stay busy. You know, it's, it's a lot harder to make a living than it used to be. It used to be there's a clear-cut pathway. You do this, you do this, you do this, and then you get signed by the record label, and then you do this, and you do that, and you go on tour, and then that's how it works. But that's no longer the case. Now it's a, it's a DIY world. Uh, so over time, and I have been around for a very long time, so these projects pile up, and Fierce Heart is where it all started with me, and I'm really happy to be back with it. I, I mean, it's awesome. You've been described as a guitar hero. What kind of work does it take to get to that kind of level? Uh, well, it's not for everybody. Uh, when, I went, when I was in school, I remember watching the California Jam on television and my heroes deep purple it was the first time with their new singer david coverdale that was his hello world moment in front of 250,000 people and there's richie blackmore um you know i'm hanging on like every note coming out of his guitar and it was you now i was too young to go to concerts so this was the next best thing is watching it on tv and you know, at one point he turns around, he was very irritated with the camera crew. So he turned around and he shoved his guitar straight into the camera. So as you're watching the television, it's like this guitar is coming straight at you. And then the picture blacked out and I was just pulverized. And I, after that, I thought, well, I want to be the guy who gets to do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, whatever Richie Blackmore does, that's what I want to do. That was... Uh, one of my first guitar heroes, and you just emulate the people that you grew up with. So as far as guitar hero status, that's not really for you, the musician. That's not your place to say. If you have a fan base that appreciates your work, you know, that's all you can really ask for. So I do my best, and, um, you know, I try to live up to people's expectations for me, and I try to exceed my own expectations, and that's all you can do at the end of the day. And you do have that kind of fan base. Well, all I can say is um, if you listen to the new Fierce Heart album, I mean, that is a classic Rex album. I just love to fill in the spaces. I like to drop guitar licks wherever I can um, without being obnoxious. And um, I love the uh, melodic 
rhythm chord progressions, and uh, it's just the style that I play in. Let's take this back to Fierce Heart's first self-titled album. Yeah. I read somewhere that the original band lineup was built by the record label. <laughs> well, the education of Rex, you know, um, I used to read a, a British import magazine. It was called Kerrang. Oh, yeah. That was like, you got the best and most reliable rock news from that magazine. So I saw a news thing in Kerrang. David Coverdale has fired both of his guitar players from Whitesnake, and he's seeking a replacement. And Whitesnake was an unknown band in America. Nobody knew who they were. So when I saw that headline, I thought, oh, if I don't try to get an audition with this group, you know, I will hate myself forever. Mm -hmm. So I went home and um, I made a little cassette tape recording of myself playing the guitar, wrote a very long letter to um, the powers that be, and I mailed it into the address on the back of the record cover. And about a month later, um, Jim Delahant from Atlantic Records uh, calls me on the phone. And Jim is a great guy. Uh, he signed ACDC to their American record label deal. And then he, he signed another group um, some people have heard of called Foreigner. <laughs> he was the head of the A&R department at Atlantic, and he just decided that he liked my guitar. And he said, do you have a band? And I said, no. He said, let's build a band around you. You know, I was like floored by that. So I'm from Chicago area, so I drove all over trying to find a singer. Couldn't find anybody. That went on for about a year. During that time, Mr. Delahant was uh, teaching me how to play guitar. He sent me all these Gary Moore records and and Albert King and uh, teaching me how to play blues guitar riffs. Really invaluable. He was like a mentor and a coach for me. And then so then the the record company they got uh, a hold of a demo tape from um, a singer from Virginia Beach, and his name was Larry Elkins. And Jim said, "Yeah, he's really great. In fact, he'd be good with Rex." So. They hooked the two of us up together, and we started writing. We wrote about 26 songs. We had a bass player and a drummer that we were working with. That led to the first Fierce Heart album, which at that time, it was just myself and the singer. And here's a little tidbit for the hardcore guys who are familiar with studio recording, is our engineer, our mix artist, and our producer for the album was an up-and-coming uh, young kid named Chris Lord Algy and his younger brother, Tom Lord Algy. So we got two of the all-time heavyweight <laughs> guys uh, working on our album. So that was like a really fast education for me personally. And, you know, that was my introduction to the music business and then we made the record, and it never really got off the ground completely. And then they were going to make a music video. And then the record label, uh, we were on a, a uh, division of Atlantic that was called Mirage Records. And the guy who was heading that up, he decided to get a nasty divorce and stop paying attention to the label. And then our contract got sold to Polydor, blah, blah, blah. And then Polydor went out of business, and then it was just downhill from there. So... 
I was educated very quickly in that part of the music business as well. Like you're up, you're on cloud nine for one minute, and then the next minute you're kicked right back out the door and you're right back out on the street where you started. So all of it, I've, I've seen all sides of it. That sucked because that was a really solid album. Well, um, it was a good start. Chris Lord Algae ended up playing the drum on that album. So there's a little factoid. Jim Delahant, who was the co-producer, he had this idea that he wanted to use a drum machine. Boys and girls, here's the difference from 1984 to the world we live in in 2020, okay? So in 1984, they had this Fairlight drum computer, which was a massive thing. It was about uh, three feet wide and about four feet high, and it was this big, huge box, and you had to set it up on a, on a tabletop. And then it had this little, tiny little window, and you had to, like, program uh, into it. It was almost like uh, Fortran computing language in high school. It was a really strange way of creating drum sounds. And then, you know, there was, like, hardly any samples. And so they were all excited about this machine, and it cost, like, $185,000 back in the day. Unreal. So, you know, today you, you purchase your $900 Apple computer with the student discount and it comes preloaded with GarageBand and there's like 4,000 drum loops <laughs> built in and ready to go as soon as you open GarageBand. So that was a big thing at the time. And, you know, everybody complained about, well, we don't like this mechanized drum beat sound. I think that was a part of it, but I think it would just, um, you know, they didn't do anything to promote the album. We never got a chance to go on tour, so... The record, there was nowhere for it to go, and it didn't get any help to pull it up. And so eventually it just, you know, kind of fizzled out on its own. You didn't waste any time jumping into a new project after the Fierce Heart release. That's right. Because yeah. you formed White Cross. Yes, this is true. But the big change between the two bands was that White Cross was aiming the music at a Christian audience. Was that a challenge? Um, you know, I, I always wanted to have a band where I could, uh, you know, you have your own concept of God. And, and my feeling then, as it is now, is that I wanted to give God all the credit and the praise in my music. So, so we did the Christian band, and we went straight into the Christian music record companies, and I got involved in that whole scene, and... We did this little album on a shoestring budget, and uh, everybody said, oh, it sounds like Rat. Yeah, you know, the singer, uh, Scott Wenzel, there was an uncanny resemblance to the Stephen Piercy sound. And I'm like, yeah, this is great, so why not take advantage of it? Uh, so we did, and that band was very successful for many years. And it was together up until just recently, uh, Scotty, the vocalist, he's pretty much retired. We may do a new album. I don't know. But, uh, you know, that's that's what I needed to do. It's what I wanted to do. So it is what I did. If the opportunity comes up, I'll probably do it again. But uh, with Fierce Heart, the idea was to know we want to make a rock album. I want to reach uh, just a whole new fan base, basically. Um, you know, White Cross was great. Fierce Heart is a completely different thing. 
Um, it's it's a rock band, and there's a, there's a new vocalist, but he's a new old vocalist. You know, we had uh, basically the the singer and the drummer in 1986. Um, we got the new vocalist Robert Reynolds who is amazing and he's only gotten better and better and better over the years and uh, Nick Forcioni our drummer who's also fabulous at what he does so the only new guy is Antonio Acevedo who is our our wonderful bass player and um, you know so that's the lineup that we have now and it's it feels really great to be back with it and I, I just couldn't ask for anything more as far as from the album than what we have. It is the new album, War for the World. Rex, I think that album might win you the prize for the longest gap between releases. (laughs) We're talking 35 years. I mean, that's incredible. Yes. Well, that's like everything in my life has come slowly. I never got the recognition when I was in my younger days. So I just kept learning and kept pounding away and keep working at it. And, uh, you know, all the years in White Cross. So we're really not getting a lot of attention in the mainstream rock world, right? You know, I mean, like lately we've been getting airplay on the Ron Keel show, which is phenomenal. I love that. Um, we're getting write-ups in uh, Brave Words and all of the online uh, rock fanzines um and the blogs and stuff and we're getting radio play and i have the opportunity to chat with you this evening and you know so we're getting all these fabulous new opportunities and of course we have uh shot a couple of music videos the first one has been released you know like i said it's it's a wonderful opportunity to just reach a whole new audience with our music you mentioned about the white cross thing you know, yeah. with White Cross having these arena rock hits like Enough is Enough and Attention, Please, shouldn't that have gotten attention into the mainstream? Well, um... Or did that Christian label on the band just close the door? Uh, in all fairness, I would say that the Christian music labels that we were on, Star Songs specifically, at the time, they didn't have any concept whatsoever about how to reach a bigger audience they were very content to stay in their little tiny little niche you know when you look at the whole music industry as a whole and then you know what is gospel music is a a small niche it's about five percent of the overall music business and they were happy right there because they're all making money they're doing fine they just you know they just they didn't want to do anything to help us uh, get any kind of exposure into the mainstream uh, marketplace. So, so those albums are known to our Christian fan base um, in much the same way as you look at a group like Striper, who everybody knows that's a Christian rock band. But the difference there is they have been in the mainstream uh, music business from the beginning. They never... They never signed up with any of the Christian music labels or otherwise they'd they'd be another band like White Cross, you know, a great band that you've never heard of. Here we are now, and I love Dark Star Records because they are very supportive to Fierce Heart and they want to support all of our projects. So 
if the opportunity should come up that we end up doing another White Cross album at some point down the road, Dark Star will be, they'll be 100% in to support that. So as an artist, I can do whatever I want. And that's, that's amazing. That's a fantastic place to be. And uh, I've even got a little blues trio that's trying to get off the ground. And um, we're, we've done a couple of blues festivals. So, you know, I'm working on that too, another little side project. But there is no question that the main event uh, right now and is the Fierce Heart record that just came out. It's a fantastic band, so I love playing with them. I want to talk about the title track, War for the World. Yeah. That nails today's reality when it says, everybody got a big gun, everybody got a bomb. There can be no understanding if they burn it to the ground. Yeah. Well, let's hear it. Why is there such a lack of understanding? Well, look at look at where our politics are at in the United States these days. People are not interested in listening to each other. Everybody has their point of view. And rather than have a, a conversation where people are open to persuasion, people would just prefer to shout at each other. And it's my way or the highway. That's the world that we seem to live in these days. So I think it's a, a good message that we should all be aware of. Like, you know, well, hey, you know, guys, everybody just take a deep breath and calm down uh, because it is a war for the world. And um, this is where we end up if people can't get a hold of themselves and get control of their emotions. And everybody just kind of calm down and take a step back. And um, let's think about the things that we have in common, such as music. <laughs> Absolutely. Doesn't that remind you of something that happened in grade three? You know, kids out fighting in the schoolyard? <laughs> I guess so. Uh, no, it, it more reminds me of what happens in a bar fight. <laughs> Good point. You know, somebody uh, said something just with the wrong tone of voice. And then the next thing you know, there's a fight breaking out. So I have Rex rules for life. One of my Rex rules is... Hey, if you stick around long enough, you'll see a little bit of everything. So I've played enough of these um, gigs out in the bars where you see this, uh, you see all kinds of crazy behavior. So I, I think War for the World is a, is a good song to just remind people like, hey, everybody take it easy. You know, let's take a step back. Uh, we do not need to bring everything up to the edge and push it over the edge. It's just we don't need to do that. You know, I'd like to hear it from you because you're the only one that can really make the comparison. How similar is the 1985 Fierce Heart to the 2020 version? There's a lot of similarity. In fact, okay, here's what happened. After the record came out in 85, and like I said, we never had the opportunity to go on tour. Premier Talent was our booking agency. At that time... I remember that Van Halen was uh, a client. So, so they were booking for all the big name acts, but they never booked anything for us because we just, uh, I don't know, they, they wait for until you have like a single on the radio or something. Sure. Or something on MTV, which was a big thing back then. So the original singer left. Robert Reynolds stepped in with the amazing bluesy sounding voice and I'll tell you one thing that's really awesome about this War for the World album is as you listen to the song, just understand that 
you know, by and large, I'm writing the, uh, the riffs and then Bob is actually writing the vocals and he's, he's making up his own vocal melodies. That's all Robert. And then we get together and we, we finish things off together. So his, his contributions in the, in the songwriting is enormous. The other guys can write too, but it just kind of turns out that Bob and myself do the writing. So in 1986, get back to your question, we were working on some demos and the label at the time elected not to re-sign the band from the demos that we had. And some of those demos was there's the power ballad, Lost Inside Your Love, um, there's a couple of rockers, Bad Child, and power to rock those three songs actually came out in 1986 as demos oh wow and i it had been like forever since i had heard them and i thought well i don't remember how these songs go it's been so long since i've heard them and i thought oh they're probably not that good since they were rejected by the label and when i heard them i thought no these are great songs even down to the vocal melodies are the same and even the guitar solos are the same. So what I have played on the new War for the World album for those three songs is pretty much identical to the guitar parts from the uh, the, the demos in 1986. So old, new, new, old, um, updating. The only thing that's different is that the, the sound is bigger. Much bigger. You know, I mean, I, I love my guitar sound these days. I love the way my guitar sounds. Can't wait to bring it out and play it for people. And um, I love the way the vocal sounds. I love the way the drums sound. I love the way the bass sounds. So I love everything about it. <laughs> well, you know, on the original debut for Fierce Heart, I like Larry Elkin's voice. Mm-hmm. But Robert oh, Reynolds, yeah, I mean, his voice on Power to Rock is really is outstanding. It's amazing. It's right up there. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Bob, his, his voice has been compared to a lot of people. You know, on guitar, I don't know who people compare me to, but uh, I like to think that I'm just the best version of Rex that I can be. And Bob sounds like Bob. For people who haven't heard the record yet, you could say, well, he's maybe a little pinch of um, Sammy Hagar. But he, he sings in the style of like a Paul Rogers, but he's more of a power rock singer, um, at least in the Fierce Heart Band. He is. He's, he's done other things where he throttles it back a little bit. I've heard Bob compared to Dave Manichetti. So all great singers. But at the end of the day, he sounds like himself. Uh, we're lucky to have him. I'm lucky to have him. I'm lucky to count him as my friend. Um that's a, that's a wonderful thing for me because uh, usually in a band, my history has been not getting along with lead singers. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really awesome when you have a group that, you know, where everybody has like a respect level for each other and, it, you know, just a caring for each other. So we can all be friends and we can be in the group at the same time. So what is this, Rex? Is this just age mellowing you out? Um. Maybe it's that, but maybe it's wisdom that you accumulate with age. And I'll give you another Rex rule. The hardest thing that you will ever do in music 
is attempt to get a band together and then try to keep it together. Good luck. It doesn't last for long. And even when you have a hugely successful group, if you get 10 years out of it, that's about the shelf life. People have egos. People have different desires. People want to do different things. A lot of times you never make it past the first rehearsal. You know, try to get four guys who are all good players on their respective instruments. Try to get them all in the same room together for longer than 10 minutes without a fight breaking out. It's impossible. So I say this all with a sense of humor and uh, a little bit of a jest in there. But, you know, if you can get a band together and if you can keep it together, that's a very, very significant thing. And your odds of success just go up. Because like, well, all the other bands are falling apart and you're still together. So in a sense, you're like, you're the last man standing. So then you come in and pick up the prize where the other groups, you know, fell short of the mark. So that's, that's how it goes. That's how life is. I gotcha. Well, you know, I was going to do something really lame and do a cheap segue about the new album single built for speed by asking you if you were still built for speed, but let's drop (laughs) that. I think so. For the answer to that, I will give you uh, the lyrics from uh, long time, which says I may be more than you can handle, but I'm old enough that I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. That's how the lyric goes. I'm here. I'm having fun. So you don't have to like it doesn't matter. I'm here and we're having fun. You know, we, we have no need to uh, apologize to anyone for having fun. And, um, you know, Built for Speed is an awesome song. It's one of my favorite songs. I can't even believe that I wrote it. It's like, whoa, this is a great song. I love how it goes. I love the guitar solo. I love the vocals. I love everything about it. Well, let me pull out some of the lyrics. It says, sure. going so fast... I can hardly see if this will be the death of me. Warning signs becoming clearer. I sense the end is coming nearer. Right. The question is, do you feel the end actually is close? Hey, it's the end is always nearer. You can define the end any way you like. Uh, It's the end of the movie. It's the end of the show. It's the end of the week. It's the end of your life. You know, the end is, is always around the corner that is one thing that we all have in common, right? I leave that in the song. I leave that open-ended. You can interpret that however it makes sense to you and apply it to your own situation. Have you ever thought about going into politics? Because that was a very <laughs> political answer. Very political. Answer the question without answering the question. <laughs> right. Well, no, it's just because, you know, What it means to me might not mean the same thing as to somebody else, but um, I do believe that the end is near. I mean, every day that you live, you are one day closer to the end of the line. So there's an urgency that goes with that, which is, hey, make hay while the sun shines. Please get off your butt and go do something. You know, turn the TV off, get out there and start participating in life figure out what you want to do and and make the best of it. The end is coming. Every day is like is one day closer. How would you answer that for yourself? Have you made the best of your life? Uh, well, I have wasted a lot of time and uh, made a lot of mistakes. I've learned from my mistakes. 
the things that I'm really happy about with this album is that I have years and years and years of trial and error, like in the studio, when when things are trending in the wrong direction before it's really gone off the rails, but you get to a point where you could recognize like, uh, let's not go there because if we do that, then things are going to go sideways in a way that's not good. So you learn to recognize uh, here's the things that we want to do and you learn how to get from point A to point B and you learn how to get the sounds that you want and you learn about in songwriting what's going to work and what doesn't work. Uh, you learn about as a guitar player which riffs tend to come off well. You learn how to phrase a solo. I mean, everything. Every little thing on, on every level from like microscopic uh, oh, let's tune that kick drum sample a little bit, you know, everything from that to, you know, is this song, is it the right song that should be on this record? So for me, it's definitely been a journey of, I just want to get to what works for me. And this album, it is the best representation so far of what works for me. And I hope that on the next time around, it'll be even more so because, you know, you're always learning, you're pushing ahead to the future. Well, I think you just hinted at the answer. I'm hoping that this isn't simply a one-off album. Oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're here. We're not going anywhere. This is, this is a wonderful band. It's a wonderful project. It's a wonderful album. And, um, and we're just getting started, but it's been two years in the making. I, from the time we started writing uh, the new songs that we needed to have a complete project until getting it recorded and getting it turned in, getting all the artwork together, blah, 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 everything. So it was ready to release um, September 25th. That was the release date. And uh, now that it's out and available, but but it's been two years in the making. So... Now, hopefully it won't be that long next time around, but... It's not going to be 35 years. It ain't going to be no 35 years, I'll tell you that. <laughs> if it's 35 years from now, you know, if I'm still even alive, you know, they'll wheel me out of the nursing home. <laughs> well, Rex, thanks for this talk with The Antidote, and have fun with all your music projects. Oh, thank you so much, Dave, and I appreciate the interest. 